Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On June 3rd, 40 prisoners rebelled at Camp Alder in rural California. They were working as firefighters there under conditions that were widely publicized during last year's wildfire crisis as difficult, dangerous, and poorly paid. As the state of California is stretched by longer and more deadly fire seasons, it increasingly relies on prisoners to fill out its wildfire fighting crews, since they can be paid as little as $1 an hour. Three prisoners and one staff member were injured in the riot. The causes or demands remain unknown at this time. Prisoners labeled as instigators were shipped to the infamous Pelican Bay Prison. This is the second known disturbance at a prisoner fire camp this year. The emergence of unrest in these facilities is an important new intersection between prisoner struggles and ecology on a rapidly warming, increasingly fire-prone world. This week, we speak to two long-term supporters of Marius Mason, a long-term anarchist prisoner. He is currently held in a federal women's facility in Danbury, Connecticut, despite years of struggle inside for recognition of his identity as a trans man and his advocacy for other trans prisoners to be able to access support and medical care. He was sentenced a decade ago to 22 years in prison for his role in a campaign of eco-sabotage in which he damaged genetic engineering facilities, logging equipment, and condo developments encroaching on wild areas. Given the dignity with which he's faced his long sentence, Marius has become an important reference point for June 11th, an annual day of solidarity for long-term anarchist prisoners, beginning with Jeffrey Lures, who was sentenced to two decades behind bars for another act of ecological sabotage with the Earth Liberation Front. Lures successfully fought to have his sentence reduced, leading to his release, but many other prisoners around the world suffer long sentences for their participation in environmental, anti-fascist, and anti-capitalist struggles. June 11th is a reminder to the rest of us that these prisoners are holding strong inside, year after year, even as the movements outside evolve and change shape. In this episode, we also share Marius' statement for June 11th, 2019, in which he urges us to learn to be like water, flowing with these movements, learning from our mistakes, and continuing to push forward towards freedom. So, Marius Mason is an anarchist his prisoner, currently located in Danbury, Connecticut. He was arrested in relation to a Animal Liberation Front and Earth Liberation Front action that happened in 1999. He was arrested in 2008 in Cincinnati, Ohio, where he was living at the time. And he was given the longest prison sentence of any animal or Earth Liberation prisoner at that time, or ever. A lot has changed in the last few years in terms of Marius's incarceration. He was initially put in a smaller prison called Waseca, and then only a few years into his incarceration was moved to Fort Worth, Texas, to a prison called um, FMC Carswell, which stands for Federal Medical Center. Uh, at FMC in Carswell, there was a small unit that at the time when at the time Marius left was only 
12 prisoners. And that unit was specifically to manage his communication with the outside world. Um, he was heavily monitored and he was with prisoners who had serious mental health concerns, um, either multiple attempted suicides or self-harm or harm of other prisoners or um, people who work at the facility. After leaving that small unit, FMC Carswell, he was moved to RDAP, which stands for Residential Drug Abuse Program. Um, it was a sort of, again, a smaller facility within the larger general population facility uh, where he was mandated to do extensive therapy, group counseling, um, and pretty much sort of 24 hours assist other prisoners with their mental health and rehabilitation. For most prisoners who were put in the RDAP program, this is sort of a condition of their incarceration. So the max time they would be spending there would be two years. And it's sort of like being in drug recovery while incarcerated. Um, as we know, Marius is only halfway through his prison sentence, which is 22 years. So Marius started seeing people leave the program or graduate, quote unquote, um, while Marius continued to be an RDAP indefinitely at the time. As he watched that happen, he realized that his situation in Texas was not changing. His transition, which seemed promising at first as a trans man, had sort of waned in terms of, of the services they were providing to him. They were giving him tea shots, but they were reducing them or he was missing shots for long periods of time. And other things that he asked for in terms of his transition, they were not granting anymore. And so Marius decided that he wanted to be closer to family for the next 10 years that he has left and that it would be easier on his family and on him if he were to move to a prison closer to home. Marius being originally from Michigan, his family has mostly remained in the Midwest and the East Coast. So he petitioned to be moved to Connecticut, uh, Danbury location, where, FCI Danbury, where he would be able to have more contact with his children, more contact with his sister, and more contact with his friends who still live in this area. I have not gone to visit Maria since he's been in Danbury. So he was transferred in March. Uh, all prisoners, it would seem in the federal system, have to be transferred through Oklahoma. It's like a transfer prison. Um, Daniel McGowan actually went through the same process when he transferred from prison to prison within the federal system. He went through Oklahoma. Um, so at the time, all we knew was that Marius kept on getting reassured by staff at FMC Carswell saying that his um, transfer had been accepted, but they weren't giving him any information in terms of when that would happen. In the waning weeks, uh, he has sort of said goodbye to people at it, in Texas multiple times. He started getting rid of things, um, sort of liquidating all of those things that he had held on to. And then finally, they actually transferred some of his personal belongings ahead of him. And that seemed promising. And then it was sort of 
system silence for two weeks where he or maybe even up to three weeks where we were able to see on the prison locator website uh, that he had been transferred to Oklahoma, but we had no contact with him. And he wasn't able to make phone calls. He wasn't able to write. Um, he had no access to commissary. And so in Oklahoma, he, he really was completely cut off from all of his support on the outside, his family and his friends. Um, he has now been moved to FCI Danbury. And um, so far, the move has been really good. So interestingly, FCI Danbury, if you've ever seen the show Orange is the New Black, Piper Cunin was incarcerated at the same prison that Marius is currently incarcerated at. And so her, the show and her book is based off of this prison. So if you've seen the show, Orange is the New Black, then you can actually envision what Marius's current situation and living situation is like. So he lives in a small unit, a women's unit, that is a part of a larger prison complex I understand that it was originally a man, men, all men's facility. Um, there is still a men's facility, and there is a men's and women's camp, I believe. But he is not in the camp, but he is in a sort of lower security unit than he was in Texas. So originally, again, he started off in Texas in a maximum security prison. It was sort of a prison within a prison within a prison. And then he was moved to a program that was almost like general population. And since then, he's been moved to Connecticut, where he's in sort of a low security prison. And since he's been in this prison, so it's only been a couple of months, he has had access to a a lot more than he did in the RDAP program. So in the RDAP program, because he was in constant uh, therapy and counseling and group, um, and uh, he had to take classes and do all of these steps as part of the program, he didn't have any time to reach out to people by um, by phone oftentimes. So I, my phone calls with him really dropped. I didn't receive letters from him for almost the entire time that he was in the RDAP program. And he generally was not able to read. So we sent online several times to not send him books because he couldn't hold on to them. He didn't have the physical space. So he didn't have personal space of his own that he could hold on to books. But also he just didn't have time to read because of all the program he, programming he was going through. So since he's moved to Connecticut, we have talked numerous times about all the books that he's received. He's been really excited about reading again. Uh, he's gone back to writing. He's gone back to painting. He's gone back to drawing. He also has been allowed to go to programs. So again, just like if you can think of Orange is the New Black, there are more programs at this facility than there were in Texas. So at Texas, he was mostly confined to the indoors. When he did go outside, he wasn't allowed to touch the grass. He wasn't allowed to touch a tree. He wasn't allowed for a, a long, long periods of time. He didn't get a great amount of outdoors time. But at this new location, he gets, it sounds like a lot of outdoor time. He is also a part of a, a gardening group. And so there's a garden 
gardening teacher and there's also someone who specializes in bees and uh, bee husbandry that Maurice has been in contact with and been working with. Um, the hope is, is that he, I mean, he's still working out what his options are at this facility. So the hope is that he'll be able to return to music and be able to play again and possibly teach classes. Um, but again, at this time, he's able to look at birds. He's been doing some birding. He's been looking at insects. He's able to just spend time in the outdoors and, and do projects that are, that are fulfilling for him there is still a restriction on who he can put on his list. So so despite Maurice being transferred to this lower security prison, he's still considered a terrorist. And he still has those elevated terrorist charges. He's still not eligible for parole or early release. His situation is very much the same. I think that at, again, in the maximum security prison, he, he was far more scrutinized. Uh, we'll see if he's less scrutinized in terms of his communication at this current location in Connecticut. Um, but he still has that 100-person list. So he's able to take people on and off the list. But if you do write to him, know that it may be difficult or take some time for him to get your information on the list. Um, if you ever write to him, you should definitely use your legal name so that he is able to add you as a contact. Um, he's not really allowed to write to organizations, um, so he so you have to have a personal address. It could be a PO box, but it has to be a personal legal name. It can't be an organization. And same with phone calls. He can't call an organization, but he can write or call p people personally. I think that it should still be mentioned that Marius is still in the same situation of fighting for his transition. He still wants a legal name change. He still wants surgery eventually. He still wants access to clothing that aligns with his gender identity. He still wants everything that he did before, and that still has not been easier since he's moved to this new facility. Again, he's still trying to get his footing and figure out what is and is not allowed. When you write to him, if you could be as affirming as possible, that that is really helpful for him. But then also know that the, there are still things coming up. So he's still pushing the boundaries of what he's allowed to do and what he will be allowed to do in terms of his transition. Um, additionally, he's still attempting to be vegan while incarcerated, but in the federal system, that's still very limited. I know that in, in Fort Worth, Texas, he had good communication with the kitchen staff there, and so he was able to talk to them about what was or was not vegan on the menu for that day. Um, he also has commissary, and so when you donate to his funds, you're talking about or you're donating to having people come visit him, like his children, postage so he can write to people, but additionally so that he can have access to vegan food on the commissary. He's still very much struggling to get that nutrition that he needs um, just from buying things from the commissary, which you, know, you should always keep in mind is going to be three times more expensive than it is on the outside. Keep in mind that those are still struggles and fights that he's going to continue to have. And if anybody out there knows any information about people they know who've been incarcerated in the federal system who have had an easier time getting food that is vegan or that is even just plant-based or vegetarian. So anything that, that people have been able to fight for and get, we'd love to know what 
their situation was and how they were able to manage manage that. And again, if you know anybody in the federal system who is transitioning uh, and they have had victories, we would love to hear those victories. Um, and this that would all be really good information for Marius with his own struggles. Marius did write a June 11th statement this year. He was able to in this new facility. And so I think it's best said from his own words. So if you can look that up on his website or it's been posted to Twitter and to Facebook, I strongly encourage you to read it. I think that it's it's very sad, but it is heartwarming. And it's always good to hear from Marius his own words because he can represent himself more than anybody else. So I can talk about uh, my friendship with him. I can talk about my attempts to support him over the last 10 plus years that he's been incarcerated. But really, Marius, is, Marius knows his situation best. And so if you can go and look at his June 11th statements and every year just see what his statement says, if he's able to submit one and get one to the outside, uh, that's really the way to find out how Marius is doing. And now we will hear Marius in his own words. Here's Marius's June 11th statement for this year. He writes, I can hardly believe that it's been another year passing and it's J11 again. I'm so thankful for this annual touch point as an opportunity to reach out to my community on the outside and to take stock of the year. It is hard to take in that I've been locked up for more than a decade and even more sobering to realize how many comrades have been incarcerated for multiple decades. They have my infinite admiration for maintaining their integrity and for keeping their vision alive through so many years. I always want to thank the good folks who do solidarity events to mark this day. I am sure that as I do, all of the anarchist prisoners draw much strength and courage from knowing that you all have our backs and have worked so hard to send that immense love across borders and through bars. There's been way too much hate and othering around borders these days. It's a powerful message to send love instead, and to question the legitimacy of any borders that separate or devalue us as living beings, all equally sharing this planet. Things are well with me. I continue to advocate for my medical transition and to work on our diversity committee here to educate on trans issues. My transfer to Danbury Federal Correction Institution in a low-security facility has revealed yet another kind of space created for incarceration. It is a smaller-scale space, about 150 prisoners, and both more and less restrictive. I'm getting to know what the ground rules are and getting to know my fellow prisoners here. I've not been a lot of places in the free world, but I feel like I've now seen a number of sides of the BOP. I plan on writing more about this place soon. I get a lot of my information about the free world from books, and I'd like to share a little bit about two of those. Anne Hansen's Taking the Rap, Women Doing Time for Society's Crimes, really resonated with me both in describing the effects of the different levels of personal autonomy in different kinds of prisons that she lived in, from a max to a no-fences condo slash group home, but also in how difficult it could be to navigate how a political prisoner could offer support to their fellow prisoners respectfully. The concept of accompaniment, which I first heard of from Alice and Stalton Lind doing labor organizing in poor communities, seems really applicable to many of Hansen's observations. I have often felt this year that the best help I could offer other prisoners was to walk with them, to comfort and listen, to be a mentor in the RDAP, Drug Rehab Program, at Carswell, and to join in the FIT Program here at Danbury, to sing with them, to engage in dynamic discussions of values and history, and to encourage mutual aid and respect. 
it feels important to hold those who are ill or damaged, especially as that builds strength for all of us. This signifies a significant change in perspective on social change for me. Much of my political work has been reactive, single issue, and confrontational. I was always a firm believer in intersectionality, moving between issues, movements, and identities, but I was not very effective at building or even articulating some clear vision of the world that I hoped to create. This brings me to the second book I found so inspirational, Adrienne Marie Brown's Emergent Strategies, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. The book weaves together many voices calling for and developing collaborations to create workable solutions to shared problems in a way that embodies the egalitarian society we desire. What I loved so much about the book was its embrace of the process as opposed to focusing on the end result, and seeing that process of change as a victory in itself. What is true is that I have traded my freedom and everything I held dear in the free world for a chance at building a new world by resisting the old. I made many, many mistakes and some terrible decisions in that passionate quest. I am humbled by this, but not embittered. Because, if there is dialogue, reflection, and analysis, then perhaps there can be some worthwhile lesson found in my experience that could benefit any resistance movement in its growth. And it is that study of our collective history and legacy of struggle that helps me see my efforts as a small stream joining that great river of change. Brown speaks of this in her book, that we can learn to be like water, ever adapting to conditions and becoming what we need to be to push us forward towards freedom. Love and Solidarity, Marius Mason. And we close out this episode speaking with one more person on Marius' support committee who gives us a few more updates and tells us other ways that we can show support for Marius while he's on the inside. The new facility sounds like there's a lot more freedom of movement than in his last place. So that's exciting. And... I know he mentioned there was like a horticulture station there and they had a bee class, beekeeping class the other day. And he's been like mowing the lawn outside. Anyway, they're like tiny little things that are so things we take for granted so much and like freedom, but that are like giving him more connection with nature and a sense of like connection with the outside world after spending so many time, so many years without like with just in total concrete ground and concrete walls and no access to actually like the earth or grass or trees or birds or bees or anything. So that's a big relief. I feel like he's on a little bit of like a philosophical kind of spiritual meanderings in terms of what he's been interested in lately. Of course, he's always like super interested in what's happening politically and with the ecological collapse and with extinction and all of those issues. And he's also kind of on a bit of a philosophical quest, it seems like lately, which is nice, just kind of reflect more reflective and thinking about some real big picture life and death kind of issues. Support wise, last year, we pretty much we just broke even on the amount of money that he spends in prison versus um, how much money we took in from donations. And this year we have like five people who make small donations monthly who have subscribed to like a monthly donation, which is anywhere from like the people on right now pay anywhere from $5 to $50. And there's five of them. 
And other than that, so far this year, we really haven't had any donations. Um, so hopefully June 11th will uh, spark some more events and fundraisers for him. He has enough money to get by right now, but we're just trying to make sure he has enough for the long haul. So if people want to donate, you know, especially if they want to subscribe to donate once a month, there's a link on the website at Support Marius Mason. Marius really likes to get articles about current events. He really likes to get printed out articles about things to do with ecological destruction, things to do with um, activist movements like pipeline resistance, things like that. So if people can print out whatever it is that they're reading and send it to him, everything has to go in a white envelope. So yeah, the more people can send articles, just whatever people are reading, especially about the environment and activism and send them in a white envelope to Marius, that would be excellent. He always really enjoys that and wants to be kept up to date and feels like he's has a hard time staying kept up to date. So that's the biggest thing people can do. He can get books now from, they can be sent from the publisher or bookstores. So that's good. They don't have to just go through Amazon, but there is an Amazon wish list on his website at supportmariesmason.org and people can order it from that wish list or they can look on the wish list and see what he's sort of interested in lately and then order it from somewhere else and email the support team at supportmariesmason at riseup.net and we can take it off the wish list if they've ordered it. I'm trying to find a way to have some kind of tracking of what he's read so he doesn't get things sent multiple times, but I can't figure it out. So if anybody has any technical experience of how to make that kind of option on a website where we can have like a tracking of what he's read and a list that we can update, that would be great. We really need some website person to help us with the website, quite honestly. Um, the kinds of books he likes right now, he's interested in, I don't even know what to say. He's interested in pretty much so many things that it's hard to sum up. Yeah, I would say definitely like sending him articles is the most useful thing. Subscribing for donations so that we have a more steady stream of donation income for Maria so that he doesn't like slip behind and not be able to get the food he needs to stay vegan and the supplies he needs to stay sane in prison. And then the support team could really use some help finishing the website and adding some components to the website. So if there's a tech person that can help with that, it's on a WordPress, so it shouldn't be too hard, but we just have to finish it up. And the other thing that I think would be really great, anybody knows Marius and like wants to commit a little bit more time is to do some kind of social media campaign that like reinvigorates Marius's like case in front of the public eye and brings new people who are younger who might be unfamiliar with it into the realm. You know, none of the people on his support team are social media people and we really don't have a social media program going for him. And I think in the you know, he still has quite a number of years and I think we really need to develop something like that. So if there's anybody that can commit to that, that would be excellent too. That's the other thing we would need. Um, to help monetarily or to look at Marius's book list, you can go to supportmariusmason.org and um, find those informations on there. And if you want to support in other ways and want more information, 
you can email the support team at supportmariusmason at riseup.net. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at KiteLine at wfhb.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.